0: Amen, amen. Well, hey, my name is Andrew Storms. I am so excited and privileged to be up here this morning speaking to you. If you're new, perhaps, for the first time, let me just say that God has something in store for you. And if you have been here for a while, like my family and I have been for almost eight years, um, I have the privilege of being one of the elders here uh, at the church. It's been such a privilege to serve you. But I know that God has some things that he wants to share with us this morning as well. We're in the second week of a four-week series that is titled Shadows, of a Savior. And last week, Chris Pletcher, the uh, do-it-everything guy that we saw up here leading worship today, laid it out beautifully, the life of King David and how he was promised the throne at a young age, but it took a process that God had to take him through for about 15 years from that place of promise to the actual palace. And I thought he did such a great job of showing that that paralleled the life of Jesus and that he too had to go through a process. It's astounding that in Hebrews it says that he had to learn some things through what he suffered. He had to learn to be obedient to the Father. You and I don't think that that was the case with him, but that's what Scripture says. And from that place, we see that David, yes, but also King Jesus, that they were not only warriors, but they were worshipers. And that's what the call was last week, is that we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. If you were here last week, you sensed that call to worship, and hopefully some things shifted in your mind, but as I thought about that and I, I, I heard Chris speak, I began to think, wow, this guy, like he literally does, he does it all, like he's up here preaching, the next week he's up here leading worship, and now he's over with the kids leading them worship, and I think I just wanna dispel a myth. As great as Chris is, and he really does challenge me personally to, to walk deeper with Jesus, I think we have this misconception that people like him or people like me that get a microphone once a week, that somehow we have more access to Jesus, and that is total trash. That is not even partly true. I don't care if you're sitting on the back row or the front row. I want to show you today that what we have from him comes comes from a place of hunger that is inside of us. It's not a position. It's not a title. He didn't come to say, hey, you're a pastor or you're an elder. He came to say, you are a follower of me and you have access to me. If you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, it says that you will be filled. Can I get an amen on that this morning? Amen. Amen. So this four-week series, Tyler's going to do the next two weeks, he'll be back, and it's basically taking things in the Old Testament, these shadows, these types, and we're going to show you how it reveals who Jesus is in the present, in the now, even in the New Testament. And you'll see some characters, we had King David and some other ones coming up, but today I'm actually not going to discuss a person, but rather a thing, and I'm going to show how this shadow, this type in the Old Testament reveals a unique aspect of Jesus that he wants us to see even here this morning. I do want to preface this by saying that I'm here to encourage us this morning and I actually personally need this message more than anybody. You can take that one to the bank. So really I'm just going to preach to myself and if you want to listen for a little bit, I think you could get some good things out of it this morning. I'm going to go a little bit backward though. Instead of showing you the shadow and type and then paralleling it and showing you that it's actually Jesus, we're going to show Jesus first and then we're going to rewind it and show what actually happened in the Old Testament because I think we can learn better from that. Is everybody okay with that this morning? So we're gonna pick it up. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter six. We're gonna begin reading in verse number 25. But as you're turning there, I'm gonna kind of set the scene. At the beginning of John chapter six, we find Jesus doing one of his most notable miracles. This crowd has come and they have gathered around him, and he nudges his disciples. He says, Hey, you see all these guys coming? What what would it cost? What would it take for us to feed these guys? And they looked at each other and said, Lord, it would take half a year's wages just for every one person to get a single bite. He was kind of testing them, he was messing with them. And so he, they, they end up bringing him you know, the, the fish and the loaves, and it talks about that Jesus has everybody sit down, and we know it's one of his most notable miracles that he, he takes what was given to them, he, he gives thanks to the Father, he breaks it apart, and it says that everybody eats as much as they want. It's like, hey, who wouldn't wanna to come to a free meal on a Saturday afternoon with Jesus speaking? These guys have come, and now he's fed the multitudes. And he ends up slipping away into the mountainside, it says, because he thinks the people are gonna try to overtake him and say, hey, come be our king, like our physical king. And so he goes off, he, he, he escapes from the crowd, and the, the disciples end up going to the other side of the lake. And Jesus said, basically, I'll catch up with you in a little bit. Well, that night they're on the boats, and the storms come, the waves, they see this figure coming at them, and it's the story of Jesus walking on the water. And in this interpretation of it in John, it just says that he simply gets into the boat and immediately, they're on the other side, another notable miracle. Well, the, the crowd begins to wonder. It's, it's the now the next day, and they're like, we saw one boat, and we never saw Jesus get on the boat. Where the heck did this guy go? And so all these boats start coming ashore, and they said, well, maybe he's on the other side of the shore. You can read it for yourself in John 6. So that's what happens as we pick up this story, is now these guys, this crowd that he has fed, is coming to him on the other side of the lake. And look what it says in verse 25. It says, when they found him, On the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. In other words, you're not really here to see me, you just want another free meal. But hey, who can fault them, right? Here's this guy, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, they don't really know who he is, but they're searching after something. But these like, hey, I didn't have to work for that, I just showed up and listened to this guy and he fed me, and he calls them out on it very quickly. He says, that's the reason you're here. But he said, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In verse number 28, it says, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And he answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, I believe there's a huge difference between believing something versus believing in something. If you believe something, you're basically just acknowledging that it happens or that it exists. But if you believe in something, that can actually change the course of your entire life. If you get behind a cause, it's something that drives you, that gives you that passion. That's what Jesus is saying, is that you have to have this believing in me in order to do the work that God has sent. So in verse number 30, it said, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? They're questioning him, well, how, well, like, show us something. They said, our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. But these guys, it's so crazy to think that this crowd is coming to him and they're asking them for a sign. Hello, he just fed you the day before with five loaves of bread and two little fish. But now they're asking him for a sign. Like, did they not just see the sign? How did he get from this side of the lake to the other? Now, how will Jesus give us a sign? And what we find here in the New Testament for the first time is a group of people that, unfortunately, we still find today in modern America and even in churches alike. I like to call it the prosperity crowd. It's basically, what can I get from Jesus? What can he do for me today that lets me know that he is my God? Could it be that they're searching after him because of, hey, I can get a nicer, you know, nicer clothes, I can get a, a, a better car, a bigger house. Maybe you're not married, you're like, hey, I just wanna to come to Jesus, I just, I just need a spouse, or maybe you're married and you're like, hey, I want kids, I think there's something that you can provide for me, and we come to him that way because we just wanna see a sign from him. And this whole time he rebukes that, he said, you're not really here for the right reason, you're just trying to get something out of me. But he's okay with that. He holds them off for just a moment. But I would question, are we marketing what he does, the physical bread, instead of seeing him as the actual bread of life? In verse number 32, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This crowd knew the story of their ancestors and how they had gone through the wilderness and how Jesus had fed them the manna. So he approaches this subject. In verse 34, they say, Sir, always give us this bread. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Like, hello, you've come to me. I alone am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Can we say amen to that this morning? That is the written Word of God. In verse number 48, it says, I am the bread of life. He says, your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone, anyone, doesn't say just people that attend Antioch Community Church, doesn't just say people that have followed me or eaten the bread. It says, anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I love it that he is so able to speak in the present tense. I am the bread that came, past tense. You and I can't do that. But a God that is eternal, that lives in eternity, he is able to say things in the present. He chooses to operate in time so he can look at us and say, I currently am that which came in the wilderness. He's showing us that he himself there is the manna. He said, this bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. He's speaking of the crucifixion there. So what I want to look at this morning, just briefly, we won't take much time, is we see Jesus proclaiming himself accurately as the bread of life. So what we're going to do to rewind is we're going to look at what these people were talking about, that he was the manna in the wilderness. So we're going to rewind and look at the manna and see, and now approach it understanding that he is the manna that we're going to discuss from the book of Exodus. So as we turn to Exodus chapter 16, I want you to see this with fresh eyes. I don't want you to think, "Hey, we're talking about this physical manna," but we're actually going to look at the manna as who Jesus actually is in the Old Testament. So it's a representation, it's a type of what was going to come. If you're new to the Bible or to Christianity, I'm going to give a brief overview. You have the chosen people of God, the children of Israel. They have been in bondage for over 400 years. They've been in Captivity to Egypt, and Pharaoh is the leader. And we know this character named Moses that God sends him, and he says, Hey, let my uh, people come out of Egypt. And so he meets with Pharaoh, and they talk, and there's these 10 plagues that come out. And long story short, the children of Israel are set free from captivity, and they're going out into the wilderness. They come up against the Red Sea. They're in this dilemma. The Lord says, Hey, Moses, stretch out your staff. The Red Sea parts, they walk across on dry ground. Now they're on the other side, and like, Hey, we're thirsty. They come to these waters that were bitter. Now it's clean, they're drinking. But now we're on about day three or four and these guys come to them and say, hey, you brought us into the wilderness and there ain't nothing to eat out here. They said, we back in Egypt? Yeah, we were slaves, but man, we sat around those pots of meat every night and we had our full fill. What are you going to do to feed us out here in the wilderness? So Moses hears this grumbling, he hears this complaining and he, he beseeches the Lord. And so the Lord answers him in verse number four of Exodus 16, it says, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Again, we're not just looking at the physical bread. We see that he alone is the bread of life. So when we see the word manna, when we see that, we're paralleling that into the life of who Jesus is. We pick up the story in verse number 13. It says, that evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the ground. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. I wanna pause right there for a moment. The same call still exists for us today when it comes to the bread of life. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. He puts zero limitations on himself. You know who ends up limiting It's us, because we're not hungry. So my question to us this morning is have you had enough of your fill? Is it just a little bit too much for you? Is it okay for you just to have a little bit? And he approaches that in verse number 17, it said the Israelites did as they were told. It said some gathered much, and some gathered what? Little. You know whose choice that was? That was theirs. He didn't say, hey, Moses, just go distribute to all the people. Just, just take it to them and just you know, give them a little bit here and a little bit there. But he said, you take whatever you need. The call stands today from Jesus. He says, hey, you can take a little, and you can be satisfied with that, or you can bring a lot or you can take a lot it's whatever you want i am more than enough to satisfy that picking it up in verse number 19 then moses said to them no one is to keep any of it until morning meaning that you can't take it over into the next day verse number 20 however some of them paid no attention to moses they kept part of it until morning but it was full of maggots and it began to smell so moses was angry with them each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. We know from verse number 31, it says that the people of Israel called the bread manna. So what is it that we can learn from the manna today that will increase our understanding of Jesus? Just four simple things I want to walk through for the next few moments, and then we'll be done. The first point, what we can learn from manna, is that the manna satisfied everyone. As we mentioned a moment ago, there was always enough manna. You have to understand that for 40 years in the wilderness, as things were going well, as things were going bad, whatever the case was, that every single morning the manna was there and it satisfied everyone. If I tried to take you all out to eat today, I don't have enough money. Ain't no way. I don't think there's anyone in here that could take us all out to eat. So we have this picture, like I don't think he's really enough, but we take that into our spiritual lives. It's like, well, Chris Pletcher can have a lot of Jesus because he he sings well and he preaches pretty good, but I don't think I can do that because I don't get up here and preach or I don't you know, spend enough time with him. Jesus dispels that. He said, I'm more than enough. I want you to see that in the manna. It's, it's whatever you want. I can satisfy this whole crowd. Even if you look at the story in John chapter six, go read it this week. It says that he set them down. It said Jesus himself distributed them and it said they had as much as they wanted. He took that into the New Testament. It did not just say he gave them a few bites. They had 12 baskets left over. He did tell the disciples to collect it, but you didn't see the disciples distributing it. He actually said it. He came and gave it to them. He gave them as much as they possibly wanted. I want you to understand today that manna, he is the bread of life, satisfies everyone. You know what that also says? is that you can't blame anybody if you don't get enough. I don't care what your background is, what your color is. If you got money, if you don't have money, it doesn't matter. You can't just say, well, I can't get enough of Jesus because I don't see that in the Bible. It doesn't say that, hey, dads, get up out of your tent, you Israelites, and I want you to go gather for your families. It doesn't say that. It says each is to get as much as they need. So if you're sitting on the sidelines and say, hey, nobody's feeding me, welcome to the club. It says you've got to get up and get it for yourself. That means that you've got to get up each morning, and you have to spend time with him, not from a place of religiosity, but from a place of hunger that says, I need more of him in my life. I can't make it without him today. Well, my pastor didn't preach good. So what? He's not the law. You come in to see Jesus each every morning, and you get from him as much as you want. You want to spend five minutes? Knock yourself out. You want to go for an hour? You do what you do, but don't blame your lack of him on anybody else. That is complete trash. It's not scriptural. You come and get what you want from him. I told you, I'm talking to myself. You're just listening. And you do have to get out of your tent to go get it. That would have been so fascinating had he said, Hey, when you wake up in the morning, it's just gonna be sitting in this nice dish, and you can just kind of roll over and just scoop it out and eat it. He doesn't do that. (laughs) Notice he also didn't rain down and say, Hey, go hold your baskets up here. Where do we find the manna? On the ground. You gotta get low. You gotta stay humble to find where he's at. It takes a little bit of effort, you gotta lower yourself to find where the true Jesus is because that's where he exists. He doesn't, yes, we magnify him and he is greater than anything and he is exalted above all gods, but he walks so humbly. That's where we find him. We go out each morning. Point number two, we read from the scriptures that Moses told him you can't keep the manna, you can't keep the bread of life, you can't keep Jesus overnight and expect it to last till the next morning. It'll rot, it'll stink. You can't live what he did yesterday. Point number two, you cannot live on what he did yesterday. I I was taught as a young man growing up, my dad always told me, he said one of the greatest hindrances to what God wants to do today is what he did yesterday. Because we put all of our hope and all of our trust in what he did instead of seeing that he still exists for what we're doing today. Hey, I thank him for everything he has done in the past. I don't care if I'm 20, Years ago or 20 weeks ago or yesterday, I thank him for that because what it does, it gives me a testimony in my life. But let me tell you something, it's the same way. Like the old testimonies that I have of him, all they do, and I don't minimize this, is they show the faithfulness of God, okay? But it doesn't sustain me for what happens today. Old testimonies reveal his faithfulness, yes. But fresh testimonies, they reveal his presence. Because we know that something is happening today. Just like what you ate 10 years ago, it was great. You needed it then, but it's not sustaining you for today. It's the same way in the spirit. He's trying to show us that you can take the testimonies that he's given you, how he saved you, how he brought you out of things. But I want to ask you this question, and I want to ask myself, do you have new testimonies in your life? Or when you get the chance to talk, do you rewind 15 years ago and say, oh, I remember back when I was in college, there's this great move of God, and I was helping with that? I just want to challenge you. Do you have any fresh testimonies today? Because if not, it shows a lack of gathering on your part and on my part, a lack of hunger. He wants to show himself fresh today because then when you have that presence of God, we know he's here. You can take that to a lost and dying world. As I thought about this, I thought even with with hunters, if they see fresh tracks in the ground, they know the presence of something that they're going after has been there. It's fresh. If it's hard and it's stale, they're like, I don't think anything's around here. It's the same way with our testimonies. We have to have the fresh testimonies, the miracles, the things we see happening overseas and even in our lives. That's what we want. We can't carry it over day by day. First off, manna satisfied everyone. We can't live on what he did yesterday. Point number three, that the bread of life, this manna, it brings strength. I love what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 13. It says, for it is God who works in you to will. That means that he puts those desires in you. He puts holy things inside of you. Don't think that the enemy ever gives you a holy desire. If he says, "Hey, you know, I want you to work with the poor. I want you to help the lost. I want you to feed these people." That's not the enemy saying that. That's God. A lot of us have that. We'll come in on a Sunday morning and God begins to download things like, "Man, that was great." That was amazing. God was speaking to me. He was giving me this holy desire. I just want to follow you. And we come and we get prayer and we lift our hands and it's all genuine. I'm not minimizing that. That is the grace that he has given us to put that will inside of us. But if you don't have the strength, if I don't have the strength from the bread, then the scripture stops there. But look what it says. For it's God who works in you to will and to what? To act in order to fulfill his good purpose. How are you going to do anything if you don't have any strength? Doesn't bread... Bring strength, doesn't food, that substance, doesn't it give you the ability to move on? Even if you think about the Israelites, if they, they skipped a few meals and they're, now they're hungry, isn't it harder to get up the next morning when you're weak if you haven't eaten in like three days? It's really difficult to wake up and go gather the manna that he's called us to gather. Even this last week, I got into some mold. I was helping somebody remodel and it just knocked me out. Like I was out, wiped out Friday night. I had to wake my wife up in the middle of the night and just have her help me get to the restroom. I couldn't move, I was just physically drained, I was just sick, and I began to think about that, and one of the first things I asked for the next morning was some food, I needed something to give me some strength. But I have to ask this question, we see that in the natural, but why do we not see it in the spiritual? Like, me as a good parent, I wouldn't say, hey Drew, at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, that's when you get to eat, buddy, and I need you to last for the whole week Maybe on Wednesday nights about 6 o'clock, I'll feed you at Life Group. But really, I don't want to give you another meal until Sunday at 10 a.m. That'd be ludicrous. That'd be stupid, right? But how many times do we do that in the spirit realm? We show up, think, hey, I just want to get enough meat, enough bread to last me for the week. That's stupid. It doesn't even make sense, right? Why is fasting so difficult on our bodies? Yeah, we do it all the time spiritually. We just want to wait and see what happens. But think about that. When you don't eat, you have no strength, you're lethargic, and you start thinking thoughts that aren't rational. Hello, the enemy comes in and begins to tell you, things, oh, just, well, I was just in a weak state. That's because you didn't eat any bread that morning. You haven't gone to him, the source of life. Again, I'm talking to myself, you're just listening. You need the bread of life. And I love that you don't have to just get it in the morning. I think the Israelites, that's all they have, but he said, hey, you just come to me, you keep getting that hunger, if your kid, a baby was born and your baby wasn't hungry, something's wrong. Moms, can amen on that? The doctor would say, Why is he not wanting to nurse? There's something wrong. He's sick. But in the spirit realm, it's like, Oh, I'm good. No, you're not. You're sick. You need a hunger. I need a hunger for him in order to sustain ourselves. Anybody agree with me on that this morning? You have to have food to last. And that's what the manna did. There were wars that they had to fight, battles there in the Old Testament. It didn't matter what happened, however good or bad things were going, as we said, he always provided the manna every single day. And then lastly, point number four, because my brain is wired so strange, I love that God gave it to me. I ask weird questions. So I asked the Lord, well, what happens if they didn't like the manna? They said it tastes like wafers and honey. Doesn't that get kind of old after 40 years? What if they didn't like it? Doesn't fit my taste. Well, my question is this, if you don't like the way it tastes, what else are you going to eat? Not a whole lot else to choose from, right? But as we fast forward and we look at the New Testament or if we look at our lives, if you don't really like this Jesus, well, he's okay. I like him on Sundays. Well, let me tell you something. You're still going to eat. My question is, what are you eating? We asked our life group that last week. What are we eating? What are we chewing on? Because you're going to put something inside of yourself. Is it social media? Is it turning on the TV? Is it the phone? Is it something that you're doing? Is it a a new car? Is it, hey, my kids are successful. You're going to eat something. I I apologize if I sound angry. I'm not. I'm just frustrated with myself that every week I still choose to go down the path to try to find things that satisfy me. And hello, it's Jesus. He's right there in front of me. You say, well, what does that look like? That means open up your Bible. You can read it. There's so much life in there. And you speak to the Lord himself and say, Jesus, Jesus. I want you to download what it is that you have for me today and you write things down and you journal them. I know that sounds weird for some guys when I first heard that, journal? That's like what girls have. They tie it up and they put these bows on them. It's okay, you can write it. I'm not, a, I'm not like, you know, girly journal guy, but I do write things down. It's helpful. You can go back and see, hey, because if I asked any one of you in here, what did you eat at this time last year? You're like, I don't know, but it sustained you, did it not? You're here today, but in the spirit realm, wouldn't it be nice to go back and say, what did I eat last year, Jesus? He's, you flip over that, you're like, wow, that was amazing. That was great for then. It shows the faithfulness of who you are, but I want fresh bread for today. Yeah. Because he is the bread of life. Finally, I want to pull out one little point and then we'll be finished. Do you notice that not only in the feeding of the 5,000, but the Israelites, that he fed Everyone? How many of you think that all 5,000 of those people were upstanding citizens back when Jesus fed the multitude? I'm guessing they probably weren't. We can see from the crowd that they came and they're just trying to get things from him. We know that there were murders and things I don't want to speak of in front of children here today that happened in the Israelites' camp, but he still fed them. Like you and I, we would say, well, that person doesn't deserve food. Jesus never discriminates. He just says, if you are hungry, I am here To feed you. In John 6, 51, we read it earlier, it says, Whoever eats this bread, me will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This messed with his disciples. They said, What are you talking about? Like your flesh. They didn't understand, I'll give it to them. They didn't have the cross yet, but he starts talking about, You've got to eat my flesh and you've got to drink my blood. And it actually says in John 6 that he lost a lot of disciples because of that. He said, This is a hard statement. What can we do? And he asked Peter, do you want to lead me too? And he said, where else am I going to go? You alone have the words of life. They saw it acted out at the cross. They understood that's what he meant, was he was broken for us. He was bruised. We drink of his blood. That's what we do in communion. It's not just some little religious thing that we do off to the side. It's literally eating the body and the blood of Jesus saying, I recognize who you are in my life, and I want to make myself right with you this morning. If you would, go ahead and stand to your feet. Worship team, if you'll come back up. If you're one of our life group leaders, I want you to come to the front, please. You know, just to um, give a little insight in my life, just a few years ago, I'd really turned the corner, not me, but Jesus through me, of just my my walk with him. And I I told you, I'm not blowing smoke at you. I need this more than you do today. You're just listening. But the prayer I prayed, and I want to get back to it, I wrote it down today. This was... My God-honest prayer every single day I woke up was simply this, I need you more today than I did yesterday. And every day I said that. I don't know what caused me to get away from that, but I know this that I've got to get back to it because this is the only thing that satisfies. It's Jesus. He is the only one. And I'm so grateful that there is so much of him. We see it in the feeding of the 5,000s, the leftovers, it, like I'd take leftover Jesus, but we don't even get leftover Jesus, we get all of him, however much that we want. So my question to us today really is just this. It's a question I ask myself, have you lost your appetite for him? You know, if you look at people, and I don't don't mean this to sound rude or harsh, I really don't, if you look at some people that are obese and you, you look at what they eat, unfortunately what they're eating a lot of is junk food. If you know that if you eat a lot of junk food, what happens is you begin to lose your appetite for things that are actually healthy and things that will satisfy you. If I asked my kids every morning, what do you want for breakfast? They'd probably say Cap'n Crunch or cinnamon rolls, right? That's what they would eat. You would let them just pig out on junk food. If you did that, you're not a very good parent, but what would happen is then they don't want the green beans. They don't want things that are healthy, the meat that satisfies. So my question to you is, what have you been eating on? Is there something that has caused you to lose your appetite for him. What I love though, is that he doesn't withhold himself. He doesn't say, hey, you're choosing junk, so you gotta wait a little longer. We don't We don't fix ourselves up and come to him. That's not how it works. We just bring everything to him. A true act of worship, worshiping in spirit and truth. I journaled it this morning, was bringing everything to him. You're good and you're bad. That's what it means to worship in truth. The Holy Spirit that we sang about says one of his roles is to guide us into all truth. The truth is him. The truth is the bread of life. It's Jesus. That's why we want him to come in blow because he brings that conviction into our lives that, hey, here's what you're eating of that you don't need to be eating anymore. And it's not always just this cut and dry thing. It's just this attitude of, God, I have wrongfully partaken of the world and I want to set that aside and I just want to eat from the bread of life. And sometimes you just need people to pray with you. Because it's an easy prayer. You just say, God, forgive me for what I've been doing. I want to I hunger and thirst after you. But that is a righteous prayer. Your prayer today, my prayer today is, I'm not hungry, but help me be hungry. He answers that prayer. That's what he does. If you don't have enough strength, if you've got to crawl up here in the spirit realm and just say, I'm not even hungry. I just feel like, Bleh. Let these guys pray with you and say, hey, let's get some hunger back in you. Let's get some hunger back in me and my life so that we will come to the bread of life that man and we will receive that strength. We'll have new and fresh testimonies and we'll know that we can tell everybody that Jesus alone satisfies. Amen? Amen. Let me just pray for us and if you need any prayer, come on down. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you are the bread of life. I'm thankful that there's no other thing that satisfies but you alone. Lord, I love what King David said in Psalm 34. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to taste you. We want to have an appetite for you. Lord, you said it in your word in Psalm 81. You said, I am the Lord, your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Lord, we open our mouths today and we say, fill us with your presence. Fill us with that bread, with that manna that satisfies. We repent we're trying to fill our lives with junk, with media, with relationships, with people, and without coming to the bread of life. We choose today in the Spirit to get up out of our tent, to wake up, to get low, and to take everything we want from you because we, out of relationship, we receive the bread of life. We love you and we bless you. Thank you for being the bread of life, Jesus. Amen.